there's a lot more knowledge and research into what is good leadership now than ever before. Yeah. So it hasn't been perfected, but still a lot of questions to be answered. Yeah. But I think there's a lot more good data out there on what good leadership is and the definitions of it. How do you find the courage to try? Can you distill the clarity to start? What drives real commitment to keep going? Let's deconstruct complexity and make it simple. Let's learn how to take action and make progress. I'm Pete Seligman, and this is The Next Step. Hi, everyone. Welcome to The Next Step podcast. I'm here with Paul Taylor, who I was trying to think before, how do I work out the backstory? But it was probably, it was at least 15 years ago that we met because you were providing some training to our team at Carson Group around how we can better engage with our customers and better actually pitch what we really do as opposed to just spend a whole bunch of time talking about a thousand different things that we might be doing for them, but really kind of distill our message into something that's really going to have impact. And it's funny, today, I was thinking yesterday in preparation for this, um, that word distill, like it's a word I know, but the context in which I use that word even today was born in discussion with you. (laughs) So to the extent that anyone hears me say the word distill or clarify or distill the message or anything like that, it comes from you. (laughs) So so thank you very much. So there's a range of things that I think we can cover today, but just for the benefit of people that are listening, can you give us just a quick kind of pricey on kind of a bit of your backstory and a bit of who you are and what makes Mm -hmm. up? what you're doing today. Sure. I, uh, I, I, um, I grew up in Sydney, uh, you know, up on North Shore, went to a boater-wearing, blazer-wearing college. <laughs> I, I didn't actually go to university straight up, but I, I, I worked for Woolies as a, as a cadet, a retail cadet. I didn't really like that, although I thought it was great, a great experience. But I ended up working in the media and I, in media sales and selling advertising. I worked for 2SM and then uh, you know, a range of radio stations and networks. Then moved into magazines where I, I worked for uh, Rupert Murdoch's nephew, Matt Hanbury. And Matt was a real different kind of leader. He, he was right, really out there. He, um, and at Murdoch magazines, if you weren't learning, you had to leave. So, yeah, right. Yeah, so we had this culture of continual growth. Yeah. And he was... He was the first person that's, that made us all read leadership books. So we were reading stuff on leadership in the, the late 80s. Was that ahead of its time, do you a, think, a for time. a corporate leader to be so totally, concerned yeah, about yeah, development of the yeah. people? Yeah. We were the first Australian company to have email. Yeah, wow. So we, were, we, we, we actually deleted um, you know, the, the paper memo um, and um, we were the first people. And we actually launched you know, the first websites in Australia as well. So... We were quite, you know, a, a leadership-orientated company. Wow. Um, we, we were forced to read things like Peter Senge and the Fifth Discipline. And, and, uh, and in fact, uh, we all had mentors and coaches. And I had a trainer from Rogan, so a guy who was training yep. me, not only in group sessions but personally. So I had a personal coach, a pitch coach, a pitch doctor. Yeah. And I ended up actually joining him after I left the media business in 2001. Yeah. So actually, when we formed a business called Six Degrees, yeah. which is where, 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 where we met, yeah, 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 and that would have been yeah, that fifteen years ago, yeah, two thousand two, two thousand three, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was two years into my 
my career as a facilitator and a, and a trainer. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So subsequently, um, the business parted about four years ago, six degrees, and I went out on my own. And I've been focusing more on leadership at the moment and, and well, a lot more. We used to be in sales and pitching and coaching and negotiation skills and a lot of influence, the work that we did at Carson Group. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I've been working more in, in the area of strategy, exec coaching, culture change in about you know, six to eight companies that I've that had long-term relationships with. Yeah. And are you finding that those engagements are one-on-one kind of coaching with particular executives or is it also with teams of people in those organisations? It's a bit of both. Uh, I'll explain later. We have a, I have a bit of a consulting model. I work with companies and individuals and how they think and how that actually affects what they do and how they show yeah. up at work. But we also do a lot of group work around culture and building norms and, and building behaviours that back behind the, the values that the, the company's supposed to espouse. Yeah. And also working more effectively as a team. And, and that might be things like just having better conversations with one another. Yeah. The better the conversation, the better the relationship, the better the relationship, the more effective the business. Yeah. So, so there's a, and there's a number of things we do in, the, in and is that process. still involving a lot of those models that we were talking about all those years ago things like the Herman Brain or Myers Briggs and are you doing much of that anymore or is that more something that you would get other people to do no, and then rely on some of those that thinking at the same time or no we still still do a lot of uh, profiling and psychodynamic profiling and there's a, a lot of tools out there uh, but you know the one we used at Carson was the Herman Brain Dominance Instrument yeah uh, we use the LSI, which is uh, Leadership Styles Inventory, mm-hmm. so, uh, which is from a company called Human Synergistics. Uh, we use the MBTI, which is Myers-Briggs, yeah. and um, a couple of other tools as well, but they're the main ones that we, we focus on and, the, and the mo- probably the most popular ones that are used as currency with most of the people out here in the CBD. Yeah. And uh, the exec coaching can be from C-suite, which I often deal with the top echelon, down to the, the next layer down, senior leadership teams, and sometimes you know, mi- middle managers who have two or three people responsible to them. Yeah, yeah. Um, and what size of organisation are you spending most of your time with? I've got one is a, a thousand people. It's an energy company. It it turns over you know billions of dollars. Mm, yeah, um, it's a very successful organisation. I've got a, a white goods company that I work with that has 200 people yeah. and it turns over $400 million. Yeah. Yeah, okay. uh, and I've got small advertising agencies I work with who are 100 people who turn over $25 million. Yeah, yeah. yeah so quite a mix. So it's quite a mix. Yeah. I've got very, and a, and a small, very small 10-person 10, 10 company in Manly I work with that turns over about 10. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And do you find that there are similarities between the challenge... Like what's the, like from 10 people and $10 million to 1,000 people and billions of dollars, what are the people challenges that, that are similar and different? Keeping people engaged and motivated uh, and happy is a constant challenge. Yeah, a constant doesn't challenge. matter the size. Yeah. That's and the leadership, you know, equals engagement. So effective, good leadership, uh, and that it can be defined in a few ways, but... I'm sure we'll get to that yeah, soon. Yeah. But effective leadership really does equal, I think, engagement and, and motivated staff. 
mm. uh, and clear direction. Yeah. Those type of things. Yeah. I find really, you know, that, that, that there's an old saying, the fish rots from the head, and that, mm. that's so true. Um, you know, most companies' problems do stem from the style and competency of the leadership. Yeah. Yeah, that's the common thread. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. And so, I mean, one of the things that I wanted to there were, there were kind of two topics that we touched on before we hit record. But one of them was the transition of people as they're moving through their career and they suddenly find themselves in these leadership positions, and whether that be they've been at an organisation for a while and they've been promoted through the ranks, and now they suddenly realise that they are, have become well. They haven't become a leader. They've been put in a position of leadership yeah, <laughs> that yeah. requires leadership. Yeah. Or they're in a situation where they have their own business and their business has now grown to a point where instead of it being them and a couple of people, it's them and quite a few people. And so now their role is requiring a lot more leadership than it did before because actually having to leverage through a team instead of just being directly involved with a couple of people. Yeah. So I guess with all that said, the question that I had was what are the things that you find stand out the most for people that are trying to make that transition into a leadership role and what's most important for them to learn as opposed to be like what are the steps they need to go through to to focus on um, as they make that transition into a leadership position I don't think leadership is a you know a perfected art or science though there's a lot more knowledge and research into what is good leadership now than ever before. Yeah. So it hasn't been perfected, but still a lot of questions to be answered. Yeah. But I think there's a lot more good data out there on what good leadership is and the definitions of it. You know, when I, I first became a leader of people, <clears throat> I'd worked for the Albert family in, um, in the 2UW building in, in Neutral Bay, and I became the, the, the sales manager of the radio shop, which was a network of uh, you know um, radio stations around the country, and we also sold satellite <coughs> satellite radio to 150 radio stations around the country. Yeah, right. We were the, the pioneers. Yeah, and uh, I had had a role model of a bit of a bully, who who I sort of watched and said, "Oh, that's what you should do." Yeah, okay. <laughs> and and I'd, I'd also come from you know, a retail background where I'd worked for bullies as well, so I, I sort of almost had that. Intrinsically, oh, that's what you do is, you know, you tell people to do it, do it or else, you know. Yeah. And I learned that that wasn't the way and yeah. I learned by mistake, you know, by, by trial and error. Yeah. Um, and I made a lot of mistakes. And, and, and But I was, thinking, you know, I was a gun salesperson that was promoted for being a great salesperson into, into a lead. Into, yeah. a, into the into the Which lead. is so common, right? Like you get good at what you do and then Correct. suddenly people think that you should be leading people that do what you do. Yeah, yeah. But and, there's quite a difference, right? And I didn't have a clue, and, you know. And then when, we, when, we, when I moved to the magazine company, we had all this training and, and all this consciousness about what good leadership is. Then you start to realise, oh my God, you know, like if only I'd had that when I was promoted. Mm. So, so I do think people need to know what leadership is. Yeah. And it's, that, that is a really fundamental thing. And that's what, what we, we provide training in that. We provide coaching and mentoring in, in, in those competencies. And I think you know some people are really good at uh, at some of the areas of leadership. Some of them uh, are not as good in other areas, and it's it's good to have that consciousness of your strengths and how to play to those strengths, and then how to bolster the areas and strat- put strategies in place for the areas where 
you're not as strong. Mm. So I think that's what's required. It, and a it's always self-awareness. Self-awareness of what am I good at, what am I bad at, and not necessarily saying, okay, now I'm going to fix that problem, but more just even just the fact of being aware of that yeah. factor allows you to then, play, like you say, play the strengths. And, and, yep. Yeah. Because what's your... I just thought um, came to mind that whole that ongoing debate about whether or not leaders are born or made. Where's what's your view on that spectrum? Because obviously it's no. Yeah. Well, well I, I think it's a bit of both because <clears throat> I think you can have the potential, the leadership potential, uh, though it can be latently sit there forever, if if it's not helped or realised by by coaches or mentors or. Or by accident. Yeah. Yeah. Some people become good leaders by accident. Yeah. In the case, my, my wife is a fantastic leader of, of a fantastic business. She runs a media company and, and you know, it outperforms its competitors and it's, it, it has a high engagement score and, you know, and it's very, very successful in EBIT growth every year for the last 10 years. Mm. And she's a very good leader. Um, she's a good all-rounder. She's, she's got better, I think, at, at strategy over the last five years out of that consciousness mm. um, of having to push harder in that area. Mm. She's very good interpersonally, but you know, had to be a better, better strategic thinker. But she was actually sitting in, in an organisation where a, a boss recognised her potential and almost forced her yeah. in, in, to take that leap of faith. As a woman in a male-dominated business, he had to push her. Mm. So that's sort of born or made. She was born, yes, but, but, but also could have could have never never realised her potential if it wasn't for yeah. that guy who actually said, "You you can do that. You can do that." Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think a blend of both. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. like most things, it's both. Yeah, and I don't think, and I think some people behaviourally and the way their 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 minds are put together. Never going to be good at, at you know at leading people, mm. Mm. sociopaths, <laughs> for example. For example, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or people who we uh, we have a saying in coaching. It's called BED. It's an acronym called BED, and it's it blame, excuses, denial. Yeah. <laughs> so if you're constantly can't get out of bed, can't get yeah. out of blame, excuses, denial, you'll always be the victim, and yeah. and victims are not good leaders. Yes. <laughs> Yes. If there is someone that's either leading a growing business or has been put into this position where they need to start thinking more like a leader rather than a practitioner or a direct kind of a manager pulling strings, yes. what do you think are the first things that they should be reflecting on? I think it'd be good to understand the elements of what good leadership looks like. I think, you know, good leaders, you know, leadership is... is uh, about goal orientation, it's about leading change, it's it's a changing dynamic thing, it's about actually getting followers to follow you. Yes. <laughs> and leading that change. And it's about actually navigating vision and a pathway. Whereas management is about nuts and bolts competencies on on specific tasks. Yeah. You know, leadership's a different thing. Yeah. And understanding that difference. We're being able to having to step up and not play victim, take yeah. responsibility and accountability to say, I'm I'm going to make this change. Yeah, it's funny actually. Well, yeah. One thing you just said then you said 
being a leader is about having followers, which is right. It's like um, running a business is about having customers, right? So if you're running a business, you really have to have a customer focus because otherwise you won't have customers and therefore you won't have a business. Yeah. Is it fair to say that it's a similar kind of dynamic from a leadership point of view? Like as a leader, you need to have a follower focus. Like you need to be constantly thinking about, okay, there's this group of people that I'm, my job is to lead. So therefore my mindset or my lens needs to be focused on what it's like to be a follower of mine. Because yeah. if I'm going to be their leader, then I need them to follow. Absolutely. So, well, there's, there's a good book so, uh, written by uh, two guys, a Welshman called Goff, I think. But he's, it said, why should anyone be led by you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, I like that. It, yeah. it, it, it is a good book. Uh, but rather than going to the book, but, but I see leadership broadly broken into three chunks. And the three chunks are leading others. Uh, leading yourself and leading the business. Yeah. If you want to try and simplify it like that. Yep. There's lots of little miniature chunks of the, each yeah. each one of those pies. Yeah. But if you leading leading others, you need to care. Uh, you don't have to like your followers. <laughs> yeah. It's better if you do. Yeah. <laughs> Much better if you do, because uh, you know that, that builds up com- camaraderie and yeah. and and people who like each other tend to hang around with each other and yeah. You know, and get on, yeah. but you've got to care for them. Yeah. You've got to care for their, their growth, uh, and their development, their, uh, their accountability, the, you know, the, the stuff that they have to do. You've got to be good at actually having conversations with them, trusted conversations and relationships. Yeah. Um, and le- leading yourself, you've got to be conscious of, of who you are and how you're turning up. Yeah. And that's, that's related to leading others as well. So, you know, are you... You know, honest and authentic. You know, authentic is a sort of overused word in leadership. It, it, it's totally valid, I think, you know, being who you are and not, not a fake, not mm-hmm. a phony. And, the, and leading the business, it's good to, to actually set a vision, set goals, really understand the business that you're in and the, the systems that all of your businesses operate in. Um, they're all, those three things are all important. Mm-hmm. And I think that... They're, they're interrelated when you're talking about leading others. Yeah. Because if you set really good strategy and goals and purpose and vision, that's, it becomes easier to lead the others with that. Yeah. Yeah. Lead, lead, lead your others. If you're honest and consistent and don't lose your shit, you know, yeah. like, you know if, you, if you remain calm and cool under pressure, yeah. that also helps in leading. So it's like the proverbial three legged chair, right? Like it is all there. three parts kind yeah. of working yeah. together. Yeah. yeah. But I think that you can also separate them. They're linked, yes. heavily, heavily linked, but you can sort of separate them in areas of things that you actually do. Yeah. Yeah. And so one of the things that we were talking about before also, which kind of segues quite nicely from that, is the concept of change. And, and leaders, like, it might be an extreme, well, not an extreme statement, but a, a blunt statement to say that if there is no change required, then there's kind of less leadership required. Like if you're literally going to be doing the same thing day in, day out, then you still need engaged people and you still need a level of leadership. But a lot of that will come down to managing processes and systems. Whereas if you look at the other end of the spectrum, going through any significant change probably requires a heavier amount of leadership to get people engaged on that journey, to actually change what they're doing and how they're thinking and how the business is operating. 
what's your, and I know that you're working on some stuff at the moment, but what's been your experience with kind of change in various sizes of organisation and, and the best approaches to take to that? Yeah, well, I think uh, uh, you know, cha- leadership is contextual. And, and as you say, there's, there are, there's better leaders in, in uh, good times and better, some, some people actually rise to the occasion when things get tough. Yeah. Um, you know, so even you know, Winston Churchill is a classic example of being a fantastic wartime Leader. Prime Minister and, and not that good. Not that good in, yeah, after, in the aftermath, yeah. yeah, yeah. But, um, yeah, change something that is not done very well. Uh, there's a lot of stats out there uh, from you know, McKinsey and uh, many other organisations that suggest that three-quarters of change initiatives fail. Mm. Yeah, I think most people actually do focus on the nuts and bolts, uh, the, operation, the operating rhythm... The structure of the organisation, the the IT infrastructure, I mean that's where the the big four consulting businesses make their money. Yes, is you know, doing huge projects on changing infrastructure and and the structure of an organisation. Yeah, but I think the the real change that is required most of the time is with the people and and how they're showing up and how they think mm. and how they behave and how the the culture affects. Business, and that's sometimes often ignored by by focusing on structure and process and, and IT deliverables. And yeah. and do you think that? I mean, I think that human nature is probably to fear change inherently, because we're typically creatures of habit, like comfort and, yeah. and repeatability and yeah. things that yeah. we're familiar with. Do you think that also? I mean, you refer to kind of big consulting organisations and probably a lot of um, kind of technical organisations. Do you think we also measure what's easiest to measure and fix what's easiest to demonstrate that's been fixed? So, for example, if you go into an organisation and you can kind of measure the efficiency of a particular process and then you can find specific ways to fix that process and then measure that that process is now more efficient, a lot of time and energy gets put into those things because they're measurable. Yes. Whereas measuring people is difficult, right? So, yes. so it's probably better not to worry about measuring those <laughs> things because not only yeah. will it be too difficult to measure, but because it's difficult to measure, we might not be able to prove that we did a good job. Yeah. So let's actually focus on fixing the things that are easy to measure. Uh, that, that's so true. I think that is a symptom of why, why, why so much change happens in that area and not, mm. not what we're really needed. Yeah. There's the classic elephant in the room. Uh, we, you know, we get a, a board level or the C-suite or the, the next level down where people just don't want to confront the blinding flash, the obvious of what's broken. And mm-hmm. it, it could be, you know, three people in the, in the C-suite or the exec that are <coughs> incompetent. Or, you know, the boss is an egomaniac who needs to win every conversation. You know, yeah. or... or and, and, and no one really wants to tackle that. Yeah. Uh, they're having the tough and hard conversations. Yeah. Is yeah. that... That's the harder thing to do. We were... Oh, a couple of weeks ago, I was speaking to someone about um, kind of that concept of, of the tribe and sort of looking at the kind of inherent biology that's built into people about the fact that you really don't want to disrupt the tribe because then you might be ejected from it, right? So yeah, if you yeah. go and speak up against 
what is the norm, whatever that happens to be, um, you're actually risking your place in the tribe. Um, And so do you think that sometimes those inherent kind of traits that we have hold us back from having those difficult conversations? Absolutely, absolutely. You know, and, and, you know, we, you work with maybe, you know, six people on an exec group and then another 20 in the senior leadership team below. Now, they all have different ways of thinking, but there's generally collective norms mm. which are born out, out of the opinions of some a of few. them. A few. Mm. And <clears throat> they have influenced the others to a degree where the accepted behaviours and ways of thinking become culture. Yeah. yeah. So it really is... Cult. Cult. Yes, cult. It's culture. culture. <laughs> and that, and yeah. norms of thinking and norms of behaving and, uh, and symbols around the office and symbols of behaviour. Um, and stories probably as well. Story totally make change difficult. Yeah. So that you've either... You've got to, you've got to break sometimes the by holding up the mirror and having the difficult conversations with the exec team. Yeah. Uh, but it, it also should be balanced with what are they trying to do and who are they trying to be. Mm. So we, we often sometimes need to go back to the strategy and the purpose of the organisation and the values that they, they espouse and to then go back to the executive and say, the way you're carrying on and behaving based on the 360 feedback that we've got, there's a gap between yeah. your, your yeah. behaviour yeah. And, and, aspiration. and your aspiration. Mm. What are you going to do about that? So yeah. one of the things that we, that I end up talking to a lot of people about, not only in the businesses that we own, but also in um, businesses that we advise, is that concept of talk about values, for example, Mm. values or culture or those kinds of things, whether it should be bottom up or top down. So if you have an organization, say of a thousand people, and you're looking to articulate your value set, is that a strategic lever that should be uh, kind of discussed and debated as a method of strategy and then engaged with the rest of the team? Or is it a thousand person survey that ends up kind of bubbling up from the bottom, from the existing cohort of people. Yeah. Well, the traditional is, um, the traditional sort of pyramid is you know, strategic or operational tactical. Yeah. So you've got all the people doing, doing that, and you've got the, the bosses at the top and then mid, middle level putting it into practice. Yeah. And what? does culture sit as a decision here or as a, as a kind of aggregation of decisions? Well, I, I, I think it normally does reside with the top people. Yeah, and that, and with the leaders. Yeah, yeah, and uh, uh, but we're experimenting with ways in which you can actually influence values and live your values from tactical up. Yeah, right. Um, because I think if, if it's if it's it's a good strategy, I think to go, go top down and also push back as well. Yeah. and and what's your experience been in trying to measure that? I mean, you, I know you were referring to earlier some stuff you were doing. Well, it's, trying to look at different yeah. ways in which you might actually put a measure on it. Yeah, it's it's difficult to 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 measure the impact of change quickly. I think, uh, and and it's it comes, sometimes I think it can be a bit misty and and uh, yeah. and not not that accurate about the change that's happening in culture. There's 
a lot of the the uh, psychodynamic tools we have um, and the three hundred and sixty tools have culture surveys in in them. Yeah. The LSI and and the leadership circle they they do uh, <coughs> culture surveys, uh, but we're we're looking at ways in which we can try and track change in real time. Yeah. Um, and I, I probably don't have time to go into that. But the other, you know, then you can look at, at sales performance from an organisation. You can look at engagement scores. Uh, you know, some people run constant in, in tracking of engagement. They're good indicators of change. But we're uh, and there's apps on on you know how people are ha- how happy they are yeah. on a week by week basis. Yeah. Um, I've got one client that uses a bit of software called IntelliHR. And every month, people have to put a rating out of ten about their, you know, their, their oh, level right. of satisfaction. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. and are they finding that successful? Like, uh, they, it, it is actually helpful. Um, now the people actually uh, trust it and know that they're not going to get in trouble for putting a five out of ten. Yes, yes, uh, yeah. But it, you know, it's good, it gives good data for for that the leader to go and say, "Hey, you rated five out of ten. Yeah, know, what's going on? What's going on? Yeah, yeah. tell tell me why. You know, you're not in trouble, but you know, like." Yeah. Can I help you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 It's good to get just get that constant feedback. Yeah. We're actually exploring mechanisms to uh, and and surveys and to to have a platform where people can measure change on an ongoing basis. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, across a, about eighty different dynamics. So that'd be really. I mean, definitely in the space that we work with smaller businesses and with business owners. I mean the one of the, the definitely in the top three of things that are a challenge for a small business or an owner of a small business is change because they're constantly having to change, particularly if they then want to grow. Um, and so um, anything that gives them a better measure of how to monitor that progress is would be really, really valuable. And it'd be interesting to see, to see kind of where that gets to particularly as it relates to a smaller team or a smaller organisation, because I know that survey stats and those kinds of things can be tough with smaller yeah. sets. Yeah. But no, that's, um, that's, that sounds really interesting. Yeah, and there's, look, there's lots of change curves and Cotter's model of change. And, yeah. But, but we think that there... And, and there's, there's lots of data, um, and we don't have time for that either. either. But I think people go through stages of change. Yeah. In, in any kind of you know, habit-forming or, or, or change of behaviour. And normally they're, they're unaware of what needs to happen. Yeah. <laughs> then they become conscious of, of the change that's required or, and then they need to get into the, the feeling of actually doing something. Yeah. And then they do it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then you've got actually got to become, turn it into habit. Yeah. And then, yeah. You know, if, you, if you ever try to quit smoking, you know that yeah. you sort of go from pre-contemplation to trying to quit yeah. <laughs> to actually giving it to wearing nicotine patches and then you flip back <laughs> to, yeah. to smoking again you've got to go through the whole thing again and you need to be you ready to step through every single one of those you can't skip it you've you got to go through once you can't skip a, skip, skip a stage yeah. and, that, and that's what happens often when change is poorly handled is, yeah. is they, they skip a stage they jump a stage mm. and they, they get and this is what we're doing yeah. <laughs> and there's no pre-contemplation there's no there's no early communication about why the change or the yeah. need for change or yeah. uh, and it's foisted upon people and yeah. oh, that's often where it goes haywire. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Well, I think we're getting to the end of time, but before we do, one of the things I just wanted to ask you was when I think about, um, 
I've tried to boil down or distill my thoughts around what it takes to kind of make progress. And there are three things that I've come up with and I want to ask you which one of those three you would choose as being your priority when it comes to um, transition to leadership and, and leading change. So the three things that I came up with was, first of all, you need courage because you need to have the courage to try. The second one is you need clarity. You need to be able to distill that clarity about what you're actually going to be doing. Yeah. Um, the third one is then you need to be committed so then you actually follow through. So when you're thinking about kind of leadership and particularly leading change and those three attributes and the things that those leaders in particular or those individuals need to be focusing on, which one of those three do you think has the biggest impact on, on successful change? Courage. Yeah. I think you have the guts to take the jump and take the leap. Yeah. Definitely. And yeah. actually stand out the front and kind of tell everyone this is going to be okay and we're going to have a go and I'm accountable. Absolutely. You know, when, when people don't demonstrate leadership or they, you know, they, they behave poorly, they send an, an email rather than go and confront somebody, you know, we call that lacking courage. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Low courage. Yeah. Low courage. So definitely I think the, the trait, the aspirate, you know, the trait of great leaders is they're courageous. Yeah. But I think you need, you need the other two C's as well. Yeah. You need the clarity and you need commitment. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Thank you. I've got loads more. But thanks very much. <laughs>